You're listening to a message from South Hills Church in Burbank, California. For more information about South Hills, check out SouthHillsBurbank.com. Let's dive into this uh, part three of this series. We've been in this conversation about Christmas and what Christmas is and and really coming back to the simplicity of Christmas, the, the four big words of the Advent season, hope, peace, and today, joy. We're going to talk about joy, hopefully, in a way that, that might be new to you. It might be a different way of, of you understanding joy. That's my hope, at least, is that when you walk out of here today, you have a, a new understanding and a new appreciation for what joy is. Where do we find it? And what's the purpose of it, really, in your life? Is it just for you, or is there something bigger at play? Now, most of us, I can probably remember a time in our lives, uh, probably when you were younger, that you really wanted something for Christmas. I mean, there was something that you wanted so badly that you would beg your parents, you would talk about it all the time. You wrote multiple letters to Santa, and that was me about the age of 10, 11. Um, I was struggling to, to whether or not I fully committed myself to the belief of Santa Claus. My parents weren't anti-Santa, even though if you scramble the letters around, it spells Satan. They weren't against it, okay? You never noticed that, did you? Now you do. You can now not unknow that, so you're welcome. So, you know, we weren't against it or anything, but I was in this place where there was something I wanted so bad. So I begged and begged and begged, and then I would, I would write letters and, and send multiple letters out. And I started my begging process early that year because there was something that came out that year that was so life-altering for me. And that was the original Nintendo Power Pad. I don't know if any of you remember the Power Pad. One of the greatest inventions of all time. I'll just say it's, it was brilliant. I couldn't believe it. I remember looking at it in the Toys R Us catalog and the Sears catalog and all the catalogs that we would get in our home. I would read about it everywhere I could go. I was like finding news articles. Uh, the internet wasn't really a thing, so I didn't really Google search anything. Google was non-existent at that point. So I was just doing all I could to search about this power pad. I wanted one so bad. We had the Nintendo, and I just needed the power pad. It was going to change my life is what I thought. And so I begged and begged and begged and wanted it more than anything because I thought if I could just get it, life would be better. And so Christmas morning rolls around. We did what I talked about last week. Uh, we had to wait on the stairs for everything to get set. And so I had to wait on the stairs for my parents to get the camera situated. And we finally were allowed to come down. We started tearing open presents. And the very last present was the power pad. I got it. I actually got the thing I asked for, which was unusual in my home because my parents were big on disappointment. They were really big on helping us to experience disappointment young. And so I never really expected to get anything I asked for, and I was used to that. And so uh, we do the same thing to our children now, and they are growing because of it. And so I was in this place where, where I wanted it. I actually got it. I couldn't wait. And so finally, when the moment was right, I, could, I ran upstairs to my parents' bedroom. We had an old school TV with the two knobs on the side where you could switch between VHF and UHF. And you had to find the right channel. And so you had to do all this, get the rabbit ears just right. And so I plugged it all in, hooked it up to the Nintendo, and I had it laid out. And I was just ready to go put the track and field game in. And I started running. I started running sprints. I started jumping on hurdles, which were intense because you would have to to time it just right on the power pad and you would have to jump and then land with both feet so that you could keep your balance as the runner, but then keep running so you could jump the next hurdle. There was pole vaulting. There was all kinds of different events. And, And really after just an excruciating three minutes, I realized something. As a self-professed fat kid, 
This was the worst gift in the world for me. This was terrible. Why in the world did I want something that was going to make me have more activity? And so I remember just minutes into it, I was a sweaty mess. I was just sweating all over the place. And my dad's like, how are you? And I'm like, this is terrible, dad. I love this gift, but this is terrible. And he's like, well, you wanted it. So keep running, you know, like that was my dad. So I'm just, I'm trying to enjoy this thing, but I couldn't believe that this thing that I thought I wanted more than anything didn't really live up to the expectation that I had because I, afterwards, after literally minutes of time, I folded it up, I pushed it under the TV cabinet and I didn't touch it for a long time because I was, I was like, if I'm going to run, I'm going to at least go outside and not run. Like I, I don't want to have to sit inside and do this. But I remember wanting this thing so bad. And I think that this is a universal experience. And, and yeah, it's funny when it's a power pad, but it changes over time. It changes over time as you and I get older and our gifts and our needs and the things that we think we need become more complicated. And if you, you and I were really honest this morning, I think what we come to is we come to these moments where everybody wants something that they think will change everything. So you and I are like this. We want something. We, we think that there's this, this something right out of our reach. And if we could just get something, it would change everything for us. If we could somehow achieve the thing that just eludes us, we would somehow change everything about us. And really, that something could be anything. It could be simple pleasures. It could be a new pair of shoes. It could be the, the latest drink at Starbucks that tastes like juniper and evergreen, and they just shoved bark into it. And I don't know why people buy it, but they do anyway. It could be relaxing on the beach. It could be a round of golf. It could be something a little bit more complicated, a status symbol, a little bit more expensive. It's the, the new car. It's the nicer house. It's the certain brand name item that you think you need. It's the, the, the achievement of the, the, the extra income that you've always wanted. And if we could just have a little bit more, then everything would be better. And maybe for you, it's more of a social dynamic. It's the love of, an, of a child that that has never said I love you for quite a while. It's the respect of a father or a parental figure that you've been striving for and you still haven't found in 30 years. Maybe it's an attainment of some enviable goal, some career goal that just continually falls out of reach. And I don't know what it is for you, but I know you because you're so much like me that there's things that we think if we can just get then it would change everything for us. And you've spent this last year chasing things, and you've spent the year prior chasing things. And we're all different in a way, but we're all drawn to wanting more, to wanting something and wanting the thing that'll make everything better. And part of it is our culture. I think our culture is obsessed with with getting new things, with getting bigger, with getting better, with getting brighter, with getting smaller and thinner, with getting everything else. Our culture drives us in this direction. But we feel obligated to want it, but then we feel obligated to act like we don't care about it. And when somebody asks you, hey, what do you want? Well, nothing. Deep down, you're hoping that they listen to all the little clues along the way that you've been dropping because we desperately do want it. Because we think that if we get it, it would change everything. And see, the problem is this, is that when we get the thing that we've been after, and it still leaves us wanting something. That's the problem. The problem is that we want something that we think will change everything, so when we finally get the thing that we've been after, 
we realized that it didn't really change everything. And we're left with this feeling of needing something else, something more, something better. And just like the toys from when you were a kid, they were exciting for about the first 20, 30 minutes. And you've seen this if you have children, you've seen this done. If you've been around a child at Christmas, you've seen this happen. The excitement of opening it, the excitement of playing with it, and within the first 15 to 20 minutes, they move on to the next thing. And they're so happy. Because happy is a feeling. Happy is an emotion. Happy is what you and I think we want. We think we just need more happiness because we know what makes us happy, but that's not really what we're after. We're after something deeper. We're after something bigger. We're after something that the Christmas narrative introduces us to, and it's this idea of joy. And what we've done is in our culture and in our own lives, we've mistaken and confused happiness and joy. We've made them interchangeable, and they are not. You see, what makes us happy is exterior things. It's things that we can find. It's things that we know about. We, we know ultimately what makes us happy. But we have to look at some definitions, I think, to help us fully comprehend what this is. So let me give you a couple insights this morning, and then we're going to dive into the Christmas narrative. If you just look at a psychological definition of joy, just looking at a basic psychological definition, it's this. Joy and happiness are wonderful feelings to experience, but are very different. Joy is more consistent and is cultivated internally. It comes when you make peace with who you are, why you are, and how you are. That's, that's extremely important to wrap our minds around this morning. Joy comes when we make peace with who we are, why we are, and how we are. Isn't that what you've really been searching for? Whereas happiness tends to be externally triggered and based on other people, things, places, thoughts, and events. See, happiness is this thing on the outside. It's this thing that we can find. It's something that lives on a shelf or we know we can go to. We have our happy places. But joy is different. A lifestyle mentor said this, that, that joy is something entirely different of happiness. Joy in a biblical context is not an emotion. There's a big difference between joy and happiness. And happiness is an emotion and temporary. Well, joy is an attitude of the heart. Joy is this thing that wells up from within us. Joy is something that happens in our heart and it, it comes out of us. Happiness is external. Happiness is an emotion. Happiness is temporary. Happiness comes as fast as a power pad and goes as fast as the sweat starts to accumulate. <laughs> happiness is an emotion. So with that in mind, let me ask you this. What is real joy? Well, what is joy then? If, if it's something internal, if it's something that, that is not just something we can create on our own, what is real joy? And if it is real, if it's something I can find and achieve, how do I get there? Because deep down, I think if we were to dig down to the heart, the soul of it all, 
Joy is what you and I have been after. Joy is what we've been seeking. Joy is what we've been longing for. We've been trying to figure out who we are and why we are and how we are our entire lives. But we've confused it with just feeling an emotion of happiness. You see, joy is also a response, not a possession. Joy is not just a thing that you own. It's a response that comes out of you. So what is it? And how do we get there? Well, biblically, there's a couple words that we come across in Scripture that give us this idea of joy. They define joy for us. So let me give you a couple of these words. If you're a Bible scholar, um, please know that I am not. And so I'll probably say the word incorrectly. If I do, it's okay. Well, well, you get the idea. So joy, there's two kind of Greek definitions when the Bible was translated. Joy is this idea of simcha or chara. And both of them refer to this idea of calm delight, gladness. It's a warmth that comes from everything, being at peace. It's a non-emotion-based response. It's rather something that connects to the soul. It's something deep. It's something that's inside of you. It's something that is a part of the fabric of you. That's joy. And then we come across, as we move into the Christmas narrative, as we move into the Christmas story, we come across this other word. It's a derivative of the word joy, and it's this word rejoice. And the word's different. It translates differently. It's uh, The translation is a chiro, and it's not Cheerio, so don't, don't think, like, don't get hungry because it's Cheerio or something. It's Chiro, and it means exceedingly glad. Like, it's joy, but it's more joy. It's mega joy. It's, it's a place that we can thrive in, a place where we can become everything that we've ever wanted to be, the place that we can find out who we are and why we are and how we are. It's rejoice. So when we read from the author Luke, and he's recording for us in Luke chapter 2, the, the, the classic Christmas narrative. Luke is going to record for the, this for us, and more than likely most scholars believe Luke would have had personal conversations with Mary and Joseph. He would have talked to the disciples who had heard the Christmas story repeated time and time again. He would have actually sat with Mary and asked her questions so he could get an accurate account of exactly what happened to her. And so he tells us this in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. Do not fear. We talked about that last week. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy, exceeding joy to who? To all people. I'm going to do something in you and through you that will bring a level of joy that people have never experienced before. Exceeding joy, great joy, and not just for the select few, but for all people. See, you and I can determine where happy comes from because happy is an emotion. It's an emotional connection. It's a response to a person, a place, a thing, an event. We can determine in our own minds and our hearts where happiness comes from, and we can go find it. But where does joy come from? If happiness is external and joy is internal, how do we fully understand and experience and comprehend joy? 
And there's one conversation in the gospel account of this Christmas narrative that I think will help you and I understand something greater about joy. The the conversation is really between these two women. And we've been introduced to them in the last couple of weeks. If you missed them, you can go back and listen on the podcast. But we are introduced to these two women. The two women happen to be cousins. They also happen to be pregnant together. And we we know that both of them realize that their pregnancies were miracles. You have Elizabeth and Mary. Now, we know that Elizabeth is a little further along in her pregnancy than Mary is. But there's this encounter between the two of them that we might just read and kind of skip past and think, well, that was cute. But there's something that happens that I think we have to take a pause at. So track with me, if you will, Luke chapter 1. The author, Luke, is going to record this for us. Again, it's a historical account. It's going to be on the screen behind me, but if you want to follow along on a device or your own Bible, please do so. In verse 39, Luke chapter 1, it says this, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered into the house of Zechariah, the high priest. We were introduced to him a couple weeks ago, and greeted Elizabeth, his wife, Mary's cousin. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. I don't know what that feels like. I don't know what that experience is. I've seen a baby move around in my wife's stomach. This is something different because she would have just said like, and the baby moved. But she says the baby leaped in her womb. That's a, there's a different experience. There's a different feeling there. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry. Now, we don't know what being filled with the Holy Spirit in this moment looked like. We don't know what happened. We don't know how that was manifested. But all we know is that something happened. The baby within her leaps when Mary enters the room. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaims with a loud cry to Mary, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. There's some interesting things in this story. We know from previous weeks that Zechariah, he's a high priest. He didn't believe that his wife was going to become pregnant in her old age when an angel told him that that was what was going to happen. He had disbelief in his heart. And so the angel told him that he would not speak until all of the things that the angel had said came to pass. So Zechariah was mute. And some of you women are like, I wish an angel would visit my husband and make him mute for quite a while. But it probably is not going to happen for you. Um, so he, he, we don't know if he's writing this on a tablet. Maybe he's using a speaking spell. We don't know. But he says, guess what? Your cousin Mary, she's pregnant too. And, and, and somehow the Holy Spirit overcomes Elizabeth. And, it, and so we don't know what's going on in this moment. Maybe it's a special revelation. But something happens. And Elizabeth immediately knows that the baby within Mary is the Messiah. She, she, just, she knows it. And so she calls it out. We see Elizabeth proclaiming this, shouting it out. We know that this small group of people that that know who Jesus is, that know that this baby that Mary is carrying is the Lord, is the Messiah. We know that that small group of people is beginning to grow person by person. We know that Elizabeth's baby, who would eventually grow up to become John the Baptist, we know that, that he instantly makes a connection to Jesus. They haven't even seen each other yet. They're still in the womb. 
But their relationship began in that moment. And Elizabeth says something that is so interesting about the moment Mary walks into the house. Just just think of this when she says this, that the baby leaped for joy. Let's put some of those definitions into that space for joy. That the baby leaped with gladness. The baby leaped with a calm delight. The baby leaped knowing that everything would be at peace. The baby leaped with a non-emotional based response. The baby leaped from something that connected to its soul. The baby leaped because it was in the presence of the Lord. See, where does joy come from? This is where joy comes from. This is where true, real joy can be experienced. You see, happiness is this passing moment of pleasure that you and I get from getting what we want. When we finally get the thing that we thought would change everything, there's this moment of happiness until we realize that it's not going to change everything. And happiness fades. But joy, joy is the lasting sense of satisfaction that you and I get from intimately connecting to the Creator. See, joy comes from the Creator. Joy comes from Jesus. Joy is found in a relationship with Jesus. One of the results of what you're getting, one is the result of what you're becoming. Happiness is what you get. Joy is what you become. It's a response. It's part of your soul. It's from deep within you. And, and you might say, well, well isn't, aren't you saying it's something that I can find outside of me? Yes, in a relationship with Jesus. But when you invite Jesus inside of you, then joy is coming from within you. And at Christmas, we take time to pause and reflect on joy, whether we think we have it or not. And what's interesting to me that this time of year when we stop and think about joy, that joy in the first Christmas was always part of God's plan. That God put joy in play for a reason. So that you and I would think differently about the birth of Jesus. You see, happy is something that you and I may be able to control, but joy. Joy comes from someone, not something. Joy, real joy, true joy, a soul-altering joy, knowing who you are and why you are and how you are, does not come from something that we can just find. It comes from someone that we're invited into a relationship with, that we invite into ourselves, into our own being, who we pursue with all of our lives. So consider this just for a moment. You and I can list all the things that make us happy. If I asked you to make a list, tell me all the things that make you happy. You could probably sit for a day and just keep writing thing after thing after thing. But if I said, make me a list of all the things that bring you real soul life altering joy. Our list would be pretty short. We'd have to sit and think about it for quite a while. What brings me real joy? 
It's because you were designed by God to find something in Jesus, in a relationship with him, to experience joy in a way that you would never be able to experience it or find it anywhere else. That God created you and I with this space that we could only find joy in him. So this Christmas, understand this, that joy, real joy, real joy comes from connecting to God. And even in your darkest hours, even in the moments where you're not happy, you can still experience joy. Joy can still be a response coming out of you. When everything in life is not going the way that you want it. When things aren't lining up the way you always dreamt they would. When you have to come into a Christmas season experiencing some painful memories and emotions. Joy can still be a response. Because joy is not coming from you. Joy is coming from your relationship with Jesus. And even when you and I feel like there's no one around... God is there to spark joy in you. He's there to pull it out of you. He's there to remind you of that truth. You might think, well, that's, that's nice. That's, you know, the Christmas story, but the joy just kind of end there? Because where else are we introduced to joy? And how else is Jesus responding? And how else is Jesus connected to this idea of joy? Well, actually, in the middle of Jesus telling his disciples some very, very important things in the upper room, he was going to share with them some final thoughts. And in the middle of his final thoughts to his disciples, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, we find this. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. There's a couple things happening here that we have to stop and just and recognize before we close. Number one, Jesus is saying, look, I've told you all of these things. What things is he talking about? He's saying things like that in me, I need you to produce much fruit. That's how people are going to know that you're my disciples when you actually start to produce fruit. He says things like this, that... that, that you're gonna, um, this brings my glory, great glory to my heavenly father when you produce fruit. I've loved you even as the father has loved you. So remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. And so he's saying, look, I've told you all of these things of how you should respond to people, how you should love people. I've told you all of these things so that in the way you love others, you would be filled with my joy. And then see what he does with this word. His joy will now become your joy. You're going to be filled with my joy so that your joy overflows. And the question then is, well, why would my joy have to overflow? Like, isn't my joy just for me? Isn't my joy the thing that I've been searching for my whole life? Yes. But you are not given joy so that you could just keep it for yourself. You see, the idea of overflowing joy is so that your joy would rub off on the people around you. That your joy would affect the lives of the people you come in contact with. Your joy would come into contact with the person that's waiting in line with you in the mile-long line in a checkout and everybody's frustrated and everybody's annoyed. You bring your joy with you into that moment. 
Your joy goes with you when you have to be around some family members this Christmas season that you don't get along with, that you have a lot of tension with, and it's uncomfortable. You can walk into a room and fill the room overflowing with joy. Your joy. Because your joy is coming from His joy. And yes, you can sit in your car on the 405 and experience joy. You'll be, it'll be painful. You'll be frustrated. But you can still bring joy. You bring your joy everywhere you go. And the reason Jesus has told us these things is so that you would be filled with His joy so that your joy would overflow. So what was a central theme at the birth of our Christ was joy. It was something that, we, that he spoke of throughout his entire life, up to the very end. That Jesus' sole purpose was to point people to his Father, to connect people, you and I, back to God. To keep us from chasing after happy. The elusive game of happy. And to make our joy, our connecting to our creator, everlasting. So how do you and I approach this next week? Just a little over a week away from Christmas. How do we enjoy the rest of 2018 as we begin to launch into a brand new year? with the pursuit of joy, not happiness. I think we can say this prayer this week. We've given you a prayer every week to think about and pray throughout the next week. And so let me give you one more and we'll close. This week, I want to encourage you to pause. Pause and pray this. God, help me. Help me enjoy where I'm at and what I already have. I don't need anything more to get the most out of today. I don't want just happiness. I want to be full of joy. You might even interchange. Instead of I want to be full of joy, I want to overflow with joy. So my challenge to you as a person, as an individual, as a family, as a church, is that this next week we have the opportunity to overflow joy onto the people around us. People that are still searching and seeking and trying to find out who they are and what they are and why they are. People that are trying to fill that space in their life with happiness and they're never going to find what they're looking for. But we have the privilege of inviting them into an opportunity next weekend. So I, I wanna challenge you this morning on your way out the doors, grab a handful of invites. Give them to someone. Invite them so that they can experience something. Not because of South Hills, not because of me, not because of a band next weekend, but because they're going to have an opportunity to experience Jesus. Real joy. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your love towards us. And we thank you for your joy. God, I thank you that in our lives, we, we all know that we can pursue some things, thinking that those things will satisfy, that those things will somehow make us happy, and those things have never filled that space. Because things won't. A relationship with you will. 
So God, I just ask. I ask this next week, God, as we recenter ourselves, as we focus ourselves on you, would you overflow within us your joy? Jesus, would your joy become our joy? Would you help us to rejoice in that? Would you help us to have an exceedingly uh, high amount of joy that overflows onto the people around us, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends, the people we bump into uh, at grocery stores and as we're out this week? God, would you help us to affect the lives of the people around us every day because of your joy? God, I pray for those this morning that may be sitting here, that they've been in this uh, pursuit of something more. And maybe this morning is their moment to simply understand that they've been pursuing the wrong thing. And today is the day that they need to fully commit and say yes to you. Jesus, for those that are sitting in the room this morning, I pray that today would be their day to accept you as their Lord and Savior. To say yes to a relationship with you. And begin to fill that space in their heart. So God, whatever it is that they need to do today, whether it's talking to a leader, talking to a prayer team member, filling out an I said yes card. God, whatever it is, I pray that they would take that next step. And saying yes to you. And beginning this incredible journey. The greatest decision that they'll ever make in their entire lives. is going all in with you. So, Jesus, would you speak clearly to our hearts? And Father, we thank you that we have the opportunities of church to spread joy to those around us. And that only happens through the generosity of this church. People who give of their time, people who give of their energy, people who trust you with their resource. So, God, bless this offering, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. I'll take that. Thank you. Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message. We hope that you've been blessed and encouraged by it. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated on all that's happening at South Hills Burbank.